Hello and welcome to Bookworms. It's the show where we read books and talk about those books. I'm your host, Alex. And I'm Joe. We have a very special guest with us today. He's a author, a podcaster, and an all-around great guy. It's Troy Farkas. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> Thank you. It's still surreal to me to hear author, especially that be the first thing that you say that's mm -hmm. very surreal so thank you for having me i'm excited to be here well it's your authorship that brings us here today yeah so. how about that yeah, if it was just the podcast you know we would be like yeah, yeah, yeah. who's that I guy be, who i wouldn't be important <laughs> enough i know i get it this is this is the thing that brings the the real attention now i'm ready yeah it was about podcasting and just be more like please give us advice yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the help we can get <laughs> no you guys are doing great i'm excited to be here so you wrote a book a self-help book called surrender a guide to living your best life in your 20s. Tell us, why you write this book? <clears throat> so I've always wanted to write a book. I love writing. I grew up in a family of media people. My mom and dad are newspaper writers and editors. They met at a newspaper in California way back when. So the media thing kind of always been in the blood. And so I grew up writing. I grew up writing love letters letters to my friends, postcards, thank you notes, which then became, you know, journal entries and blogs online for people to see. I have a Substack that I've been doing for a couple of years. I've gone in and out of periods of keeping the writing to myself, whether it's some type of creative writing, making up a story, um, and then also just like releasing it to the world as well. And so with this love of writing, which has always kind of been an escape for me, a creative outlet for me, a place where I can really let my thoughts and feelings go. It's a great way for me to channel that energy, especially when I'm going through something, when I'm emotionally writing, that's when I'm at my best. And so with, with this talent, which people have told me that I've, that I've had, I always said, you know, I would love to write a book one day. And so I've, I've made that a professional goal of mine. I've only ever have had three professional goals and I've now accomplished two of them. The second of them was, was writing a book. And oh, what's the third one? Just so owning a coffee shop. <laughs> The first one was uh, producing a documentary, which I did uh, when I worked at ESPN a couple years ago. Nice. <clears throat> and so I'd always wanted to write a book. And then this book in particular, I'm obsessed with becoming the best version of myself. It's a question I think about endlessly. We have this one precious life. We're only on this earth for such a short time in comparison to the grand scheme of the earth's existence. We are just a speck of dust. And so I'm obsessed with like, how do I make some type of impact for the very very short time while I'm here. And I think there's a lot of people on this earth right now who don't realize that. They act as if they have all the time in the world. They act as if they're going to be here forever. And so they live a very unintentional life, an unfulfilled life, very ordinary life. And I want people to live extraordinary lives. And so that's why I spent years gathering this information from books, from podcasts, from philosophy, from traveling the world, from experience, from conversations. And I put a lot of that into this book. And I targeted young people, especially because I am one. And I think a lot of young people have all the opportunity in the world to be successful more so than they ever have before. But I think a lot of us are squandering it away. So I wanted to get at those people. Yeah, you're uh, definitely on the, the younger side. I mean, me and Alex are both in our 30s now, bitter old millennials. And <laughs> I think you're right on that edge of millennial Zoom. Uh, yeah, Zoom yeah, there, yeah. I, like, I, I identify with Gen Z, though. Okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> I kind of self figured. Self-identify. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I was doing my research on you, I kind of was like, yeah, that's kind of the vibe I'm feeling yeah, yeah, off you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, with all the self-help books out there, then there's, <coughs> uh, I'm assuming hundreds. It's not yeah, typically big a big genre. Yeah, no. typically a genre I read very often, if ever. Why 
why are you the best voice for your generation, you think? Starting with the easy questions. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. No one's asked me that yet. I think I've had several people tell me as I've gone about my career so far, I've worked at ESPN and Spotify, two world leaders in their respective spaces, and I've ran into high people or high up people at those, com- uh, at those companies, and they've said to me, you're different. You don't think or speak or act the way that most people your age do. You carry yourself differently. And so I've kind of, not in a cocky way, but I've carried myself the last couple of years thinking, you know what, maybe I, maybe I am different. Maybe I do view the world and move about it in a way that most young people don't. I'm very self-aware and I'm aware of the long-term scope of things. And so I've just spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I was like, you know what? Not enough young people are out here saying these things. I want to be a voice to, I, I want to be the voice using my skills of writing, of communicating, of writing succinctly and directly. And in, in this uh, specific case, I wrote this for the short attention span because God knows our attention spans are only getting shorter. And so I think I'm, I'm the guy because I'm one of the only few young people who's had, eno- who's had enough experience in his 20s to write a book about it coming from an informed and passionate place with my writing, uh, with my writing style. I thought I was the right guy to write something like this. Yeah, and I really did, to heap some praise on you, I did enjoy your writing style. It's very, word to describe it, is, uh, like, it's very, like, this is working for me. I hope it works for you. Or you can, you know, try it, but you also leave a lot, like, up to interpretation for the reader. Like, you have those, like, you know, list of values to choose from. Yeah. You have different ways of analyzing your writing. So I found that to be very approachable mm. a nice a nice style and uh you know you kind of make room for when you like contradictory things because, yes you know like you said in the very beginning like life is a contradictory thing and it can be chaotic and you got to find out how to make your values align and i, I just want to say yeah. I appreciate that thank you and i appreciate you noticing that there is no one template that we should all follow we're all different we all have different backgrounds. We were all raised differently. We all come from different parts of the country or of the world. And so some of this advice people can, can take and try it out, and it just won't work for them. For me, meditation's been beaten down on me for years. I've just never been able to get it. I've just never... So I'm not going to force myself if it's just not something that's working for me. It works for so many people around the world, and I understand it's a great tactic, and all the best in the world to those people that do that it's not for me and a lot of this stuff it might just not be for you but that's totally fine we're all different yeah you you did say in your book that a lot of your essays are contradictory to each other that was kind of intentional just to kind of cover yeah well because i think so with the contradictory nature of it i was trying to be symbolic of what your 20s are really like i can't tell you the number of times that me in my own life and my friends one day are like you know what I want to get up and leave and start anew and move to a new place, new job and dump my girlfriend. And then the next, the literally the next day are like, you know what? I really like it here. I can see myself buying a house here for the next 10, 10 years and being happy. Our minds change all the time because we're still figuring out who we are, what we want out of life. And especially I'm trying to ask or tell people to be self-reflective, to take stock of where you are in your life. Is this where you want to be? Are you surrounded by the people you want to be surrounded by? Are you doing the things that you want to do? Are you leading a life of purpose and meaning? Are you doing what you're truly meant to do? Or are you just kind of coasting? And so I just want to beat people over the heads and to know that 
in your 20s, this is like the most important time for habit building and for setting the direction of your life. This is the foundation. If you want to start exercising at age 22, you've never done it before, it's a lot easier for you to do that than if you decide at age 42, if you've never exercised before, that you want to get into it right now. So I'm just trying to open people up to a lot of different things that you can or should be doing in your life to get the most out of it. A lot of times I felt you almost had a kind of a cynical look at mm. uh, things. It kind of comes out in the title, Surrender. But you know, a lot of times, at least to me, you know, as a bitter old millennial <laughs> who's very cynical anyways, that that was something a running theme that kept popping back in. Yep. Was that intentional or something that you were unaware of? Or Yes, that is intentional. Um, there's this thing, called, and we just love adding the word toxic to everything now. It's something that Gen Z does. Toxic optimism, where you can be so optimistic to the point that you're delusional and that you are depriving yourself of the reality of the situation. And so I would love to see the best in people. I would love to think that everyone has the best intentions. I would love to think that my friends and my family and my loved ones are always going to come through for me, that they're always going to be there for me, that they're always going to show up. The reality is they're not. I've been screwed over so many times in my life. So I kind of approach life like I know I can count on myself. I know I'm going to show up. I can't necessarily say that for everyone else. In the book, I talk about raising your standards and lowering your expectations. Raise your standards for yourself. Don't ever stoop to the, ex- to the, the ways that other people move about their lives. Don't be like them. But drop your expectations for other people. Don't expect them to come through for you because if they fail to, then, and you have low expectations, well, when they don't come to your birthday party, you're like not that butthurt by it because you all, you just expect people to not come through for you. That's what human nature is. We are all self-serving. We are all in survival mode at the end of the day, looking out for ourselves, like our ancestors trying to get the most food for them in their immediate tribe, right? That's that's what it all comes back to. So I don't, there are a few passages or there are a few areas in my life where, where I am cynical about, and I, I, I think being too, whatever the opposite of cynical is, being too optimistic is, is kind of a, not a great thing. And yeah, that's something I kind of wish I'd read back when I was like 22. Yeah. And like, it's like, oh, I'm not entitled to anything, but I also, you know, I don't owe things to other people yeah and just we coexist we help each other when we can but in the end it's kind of down to you to decide where you go with it exactly have you ever read extreme ownership by jocko willink no i highly recommend it uh he does a it's a self-help book yeah. about uh, basically taking like all the, yeah taking all the responsibility on yourself it's his first book that he published highly recommend it so okay. definitely check it out if you yeah. uh ever get there yeah i like jocko yeah Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I love his podcast. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, one of the essays that really brought me in (coughs) was uh, the one titled "Grudges." It's one of my favorites. Uh, You can tell it definitely the way the way you wrote it. Um, I was wondering if you could dig a little deeper into it. Uh, I don't know if you know. You said you worked at ESPN. Do you ever interview or meet Kobe or uh, what? It is death changed for you. What grudges were you able to let go or uh, connections you? reached out to to try to fix yeah so kobe bryant's untimely death at the beginning of 2020 um, was really just a reminder to me of how precious life is and it brought me directly back to a moment in my life in 2012 i've actually dedicated the book to a girl named deanna rivers she is or she was my best friend 
and where I grew up in upstate New York. And she was killed in a car accident by a drunk, high, speeding, texting driver on his way to get more drugs on a Saturday night at like 11 p.m. Uh, back in 2012. And I never got to tell her one more time how much I loved her, how much she meant to me, how much her friendship meant to me. Before she died in the weeks leading up to it, we were kind of in like a mini squabble. We weren't really talking to each other. We were fighting over something petty that high schoolers fight about and give each other the cold shoulder cold shoulder for. Didn't matter. Looking back on it, it's my biggest regret that we didn't patch that up because I now have to live with for the rest of my life knowing that me and my best friend, who's no longer with us, ended on not the greatest terms. So that's why I leave every conversation with people that I love, whether that's on the phone or in person, I leave that conversation knowing this could be the last time I ever see you. This could be the last time I ever talk to you, that I'm ever in your presence. So I'm going to make it count and I'm going to tell you I love you. Like if you're a woman, I'll do that more so with, with women, men, I'll do like a nice bro hug or a, a firm handshake or something or like I appreciate you, something like that. Just some type of transfer or acknowledgement of letting you know that I care about you that I hear you because I want you to know that because if you're gone tomorrow, I want you to, you know, I, I want to look back fondly upon our final interaction, which I don't with Deanna. So fast forward to 2020, that it hit right back home that lesson when Kobe died, like Kobe and Vanessa, his wife, who knows what their final conversation was like. Maybe they were in a fight or something or who knows what, like Kobe, like Michael Jordan, very competitive, a lot of grudges with people. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that he held grudges with that would uh, love to have not had those grudges. So I don't believe in grudges. I work with some people who are big grudge holders and they want me to inherit their beefs out of a sign of loyalty to them. And that's just not my philosophy. That's never going to be my philosophy. I'm all about love and spreading kindness. And our time is short here on this earth. Let's make it count. Let's grow up and get past the grudges. I don't believe in them. They're stupid because if that person that you have a grudge with, if they go tomorrow, it's going to suck that you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life, knowing that you acted like such a coward or like such a child holding on to this thing that didn't matter. Now, I've reached an age where there are like, I, I try not to hold grudges, but there's like people I I probably would not help if I yeah. had the chance. I'm, I'm sure there's that too, that aspect as well. Like it's important to express, you know, your feelings towards people, but are there also people that maybe it's, it's whatever. Yeah, there's definitely... Pe I don't believe in completely cutting people out of your life. I, I have some people in my life that, are, that I'm close with that get mad at me for not cutting out certain people uh, of my life. What I will do, if they're in my primary circle and they screw me over or I just realize, you know what, this friendship just isn't what I would like it to be or it's a thing of the past or this isn't going to be a good thing for the future, I'll move them back to the secondary or the tertiary circles Rather than let's hang out once a month, it'll be like, hey, let's do a phone call every couple of months. Like, if you're in town, great. If I'm in town, great. Let's get together. But we're not knowing the day-to-day -day of each other's lives. So I don't believe in completely booting people out, but I do believe in, if it makes sense, downgrading someone's importance in your life if, if they don't hold the relationship in, in the regard that they should. So, Alex, I've been kind of dominating the questions here. you have anything? I know you want Troy uh, self-published this book, and we're very curious about that mm. as Alex has tried self-publishing a few times. And uh, Yeah, I've uh, had some experience with self-publishing, like through Amazon. I just wanted to learn, like, what was your – like, you wrote the book, 
and and naturally like you want to share it with people you can try you know going through mainstream publishing it's you know they take care of everything for you like on the marketing aspect but the breaking into that market is incredibly difficult i was wondering if that was like your first goal or if you just wanted to you know get it out there right away with the self-publishing what was that like how did you handle things like editing and marketing that publishing companies <coughs> usually help you out with yeah it's a good question i never really seriously considered going the traditional publishing route most importantly because like i said publishing a book has been my dream i've always wanted to do it i didn't want to Honestly, I, I didn't want to get rejected by the big five publishing houses and never accomplish my dream. And I'm very much a self-motivated, like self-starter. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to take this into my own hands and con control my own destiny. I know it's, pro you know it's probably a bigger bang for your buck if you do go with a publisher, but I get way more control this way. I get more of the royalties this way. Now, yes, there will be obviously way fewer sales, but that's fine. I'm, I'm writing this first book just to get it out, to prove to myself that I can do it, to go through the process like in completely nuts to bolts and just learn what it's all about. I wanted to get, get in the nitty gritty of all of it start to finish so that if there's a second book, which there will be, so that I could really know what to expect. And honestly, it wasn't as difficult <laughs> as I thought. Uh, self-publishing I luckily so in, in the self-help space there's a couple people that I look up to and I've read their books for a number of years and I actually just hit up the guy that I knew that self-published those books and he actually just happened to have like a couple months in his calendar where he could take on an additional project his name is Sean he lives out in Los Angeles has has helped self-publish some like really high performing well-known books in this space and so i uh inked a deal with him went back and forth it wasn't too difficult and then yeah we just shared a google document my shared my google doc with him left a bunch of notes we you know went through edits and maybe like four or five rounds of edits together then he formatted it uh lovely i checked through that again just to make sure it was a very collaborative process i'm, I'm a pretty hands-on person and then we went back and forth on a book cover. And then once I had all the files, the the ebook, the standard book, and the corresponding book covers, like boom, just upload to, to KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, Barnes and Noble, and Apple Books, and all of the all the other ones. It was a really fun process. And like when the book got released on August nineteenth, people ordered it that day and had it August twenty first. It was crazy that. And like, I'm really proud of how the book feels, of how it looks. It looks professional. It, it exceeded my expectations, and it got to people really quickly. It's what a crazy, like, world this is. <laughs> so sales have been better than you had thought or initially they would be, or they uh, kind of so, what you expected, or so. Uh, in, <clears throat> as part um, for like my life philosophy, always having low expectations. I went into it having very low expectations. My goal here is just to write the book. I'm a perfectionist. I was never going to be completely happy with it. But I eventually just reached a point where I was like, you know what? This is a good stopping point. This is my first book. Your first is going to be the worst. Your first album is probably your worst. Your first anything time you do it is going to be the worst. It's going to be a great learning experience. So I don't think this is my best book. And I know I probably shouldn't be saying that, but it's you know I'm hoping like my seventh book will be great. And then the people who when the seventh book gets big, they'll go back to the first one and they'll be like, oh, cool. I didn't even know this existed. Uh, so the sales have been the sales have been just about what I expected. 
adjust like yeah they've been just about what i expected not like blown away by it but again that was never like the goal it would, the goal was just to get these messages out there to prove to myself that i could do it and also i need to remind myself like this book now exists forever it can be bought at any time it's not like uh you just have a two-month sale window and then it's never going to get bought again like this is just the beginning yeah and the, the cool thing <coughs> with self-publishing too is like if you want to make changes to the book you yeah. can just go in make the changes hit resubmit and it's it's available again yeah i can it's, maybe it's i can just like rewrite it like taylor swift rewrites her old albums and like breaks records doing that yeah <laughs> uh what successes in this process do you think you had and uh, were there any failures that you are learning from that during the self-publishing process so the f hmm it's a good question successes from the process getting it out getting it out on time getting it professionally done i'm a uh, coming from a family of writers and editors i'm a stickler for good punctuation and sentence structure i combed over this thing so many times to make sure there were no errors there's not a single error in there meanwhile i i have like a running joke with my family whenever i'm reading a book from like a traditional publishing house that's a really big book that's on the bestseller list and i'm like there's 18 errors in this book how did this get through so the fact that my book is error free is something that I take a great amount of pride in. Yeah, my uh, publishing process. I'm terrible at uh, finding errors. So oh, really? I uh, I pushed one out like almost a year ago, and I was I was rereading re re through it, and I'm like just finding like one on every page. I'm like, oh, really? That's why I got that idea for like, oh, you can just fix it and resubmit it. So it was like. So are, are you your own writer and editor? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this this guy edits for me too sometimes. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just that, like the go drafting and drafting, drafting. You think you have it, then you put it out, and then you like you look back at it, and I'm like, oh, I missed all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I I wrote it and went through my own edits four or five times through the book, and got it to a place where I was comfortable not to publish, but to hand it off to someone else. Whether it's in my own podcast or my own writing, whenever I have the opportunity to let someone else take a look or do the editing I do because even though I know I'm good at that stuff you have an emotional attachment to the words that you write or to the words that you speak in a podcast so if there's something wrong with it or if it doesn't really make sense like you know what you mean but maybe the audience doesn't know what you mean so for you I would just recommend just have someone else take a look at it whenever you can because you can't necessarily see your own errors or your own poor someone writing yeah, okay. exactly. Which yeah, got you yeah. a job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, not uh, doing the line by line, Alex. Yeah. That's the, yeah. you I don't pay me enough for that. The, uh, like the Stephen King method of like two two drafts and a polish. But I'm also not on you know his level. But, yeah, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on. It. I've been writing for a long time now. So uh, it's just what it's kind of writing was that? What kind? Uh, I love writing fiction. So, nice. Um, yeah, I've uh, put out like five on Amazon now. I feel like I have one good one finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not a fiction person at all. I don't really read it, and I can't really contrive how people write it. How do you get yourself into the mindset to write a fiction book? What What is the creative process for that like? Well, I mean, like, creative it changes, like, from book to book. I just, like, I have, like, a seed of an idea, and you just kind of pluck it out and you nourish it. Uh, so my most recent one was actually a middle-grade fiction about – I had this kick, idea kicking around for, like, years uh, because a friend of ours – went down to Honduras to mine gold. So I had this like whole idea of like a possible story where like the, it's like the mummy style where they go and they like honor some sort of monster. And then I somehow managed to tie that into um, 
a different passion of mine, which is Norse mythology. Of and course. And so it's, this, uh, it's about <laughs> a 12-year-old boy who goes to Honduras, finds, a, finds a, the tree of life there, and then winds up in this whole adventure to stop uh, the Norse apocalypse, which... Uh, kind of reminds uh, me of The Alchemist a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I was, uh, yeah, I was trying to, uh, I don't know, avoid like you know, all the Percy Jackson references, but uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It took a number of years to write it out, just like plan it, uh, plan everything, because you got, you know, your main character who's got this main conflict, but you also need to have subplots and uh, introduce new characters who all have their own storylines that need to tie together. So it's a long process, and uh, a lot of my ideas just came from like, oh, this would be a funny joke to put into the book and then just tell a joke and then make it work with the story. And um, you just go back, you edit it, you have have your brother give you notes. <laughs> and, uh, I always assume that just all fiction writers just, like, get really high or <laughs> uh, go on some type of weird drugs to get in that mindset. I don't know. For me, I'm not published by any stretch, but you know, I do a lot of fiction writing myself and trying to get to that stage where I'm ready to publish. What's stopping you? Just trying to get it polished enough to put out there. I am currently trying to find an agent because I want to go the more traditional route yeah. because doing the self-publishing thing seems more work than I'm willing to put in outside yeah. of the writing. Yeah. I just want to be able to write and not have to do as much of the, the marketing side of it. But the, uh, when, you know, finding a agent is hard as you, you know, anyways, and Alex knows. And, but for, for me, my process is I watching the, the book in my head, like a movie mm. and just, writing it down as fast as I can uh, yeah. and then going back later and polishing it up uh, multiple times. But I, I've always had a really active imagination. I can go to these just strange dark worlds and re revisit them when I want to. And that's, that's just reading so much fantasy and science fiction throughout my life. Just, you know, piling those ideas on reading other, you know, more literary fiction understanding where these authors I love, you know, where they're getting their ideas from and be like, oh, okay, I'm making those connections. And how can I th now tie all that into my stories to make it more meaningful and not just a, you know, this is a fun adventure story and yeah. I have actual messages hidden deep into it. Yeah. So that's kind of my process, but that's awesome. Yeah. Another thing for me is I got to know when to bail on an idea. Mm. It's like, it's hard. Uh, yeah, long form fiction, like you have this great starting moment, but then like you hit, you just hit that wall and you got to put it down and walk away from it. It's like, otherwise you're going to be s trying to push stuff that's not there and it's going to hurt the quality of the book in the end. Um, like never like get rid of it entirely. It's always going to be something you can come back to. Uh, like I said, that apocalypse book was an idea that i had you know years before i even wrote the first word but like i couldn't figure that out so i walked away from it and then eventually something clicked and i was able to get there so just like know when to stop and focus on something else otherwise you're just gonna kind of like be spinning your tires the whole time yeah good problem to have though yeah any other questions on the publishing side of things alex you want to talk marketing a little i i didn't talk marketing at all yeah we can oh, yeah. talk marketing yeah. sure um because yeah <coughs> I'm actually looking for advice on this mm. if you got any ideas. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have some like massive fleshed out marketing strategy because again, I wasn't, I know this wasn't the book to put all my eggs in one basket on. I know there's better books in me, but I have appeared, you know, I work for Spotify. I have a lot of connections in podcasting. I know a lot of people with big followings. So just asking them to tweet out the book or to talk about it on their podcast or to, 
do social media posts about it, like with the book prominently featured. Anytime someone bought the book and tagged me with a picture of the book, I, I shared that on my Instagram. Um, I put out a lot of social media videos on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube Shorts, reading excerpts from the book. Um, so it was really just like a pretty just self-made strategy, and it's still going on. It's something that I'll market for a long time. I, I don't think you ever really stop marketing a book that's once it's already out into the world. So I'll continue doing it. Send out a bunch of emails. Hey, to this podcast or to this newspaper, this publication, you hear back from some, you, hear, you don't hear back from a lot. That's just the name of the game, no matter who you are. A couple articles, a lot of interviews done. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed talking about it. And you know, it's something I, I like. I carry the book with me, so that's kind of like its own form of marketing. I carry it with me because honestly, you know, I wrote this book for other people, but I also wrote it for myself. I mean, I know all this information, I believe in all of it, but I need to be reminded of it. Sometimes you lose your way a lot in Buddhism, which is something that I'm very interested in. Uh, there's this thing called the middle path, which is kind of like your homeostasis, and they say that we are meant to stray so that you can practice coming back to that middle path. And so I stray. And so the book is kind of the middle path. Like, this is who I want to be right now. So I reread it again. I open up a passage. And that's why the book is written in this way as well. You can read it front to back, back to front. There's no narrative. There's no story. If you're a, a slow reader, like I know you guys are, you don't need, if you can put it down for 10 days and then just pick right back up where you left off without having to remind yourself of what just happened. Every chapter is, is its own new thing. And uh, so I, I like, you know, I want people to, to carry with them on their travels, on their journeys to a coffee shop, put a post-it note or write in the margins. And when they're confronted with a situation that they remember from this book, they can go back to that passage like grudges that they really, that really resonate with them. And they can remind yourself like, you know what, I'm acting wrongly in this situation. I really like this. Let me, let me, you know, act accordingly based on what this book says. Cool, cool. Is that good for that section, Alex? Yeah, I think that takes right. care of it. So yeah, my, my marketing strategy right now is I, I work in a school library, so I just added <laughs> it to the library, and I just like leave it up there and be like, every time someone looks at it, I'm like, that's a great book. Nice. <laughs> the author's really cool, too. Nice. That's great. Uh, so we're doing this a little out of order, but let's uh, you know, learn some, some of your history here. You oh, said yeah. you uh, used to work at ESPN, yeah. and now you work at Spotify. Yes. Uh, why did you leave ESPN? Whew. Okay, so at the... So 2020, obviously not a great time, very tumultuous, especially in the live sports space, which ESPN thrives in when there's no live sports. Your business is going to take a big hit, and so ESPNs did. So at the end of 2020, right around presidential election time, they laid off a bunch of people, not me. They uh, laid off a bunch of kind of dead weight in ESPN radio, which is where I, I had worked. I started in ESPN radio, moved over to podcasting, hated radio, loved podcasting, was really happy in the podcasting department. But they laid off a bunch of people in radio. Then they called me up and said, Troy, you're the only person in podcasting with radio experience. We need you back in radio. And I threw a fit. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> but I had to do it anyway. But when they made me do it, they pretty much forced my hand. They told me, do it or quit. And that's probably going to be the, next, the name of my next book. There's a little teaser for you, exclusive, do it or quit. And so I knew from that moment that my days were going to be numbered there. I had to figure out an exit plan. What am I going to do next? Where am I going to go? And so uh, I plotted for about three months, and, and then I left. Just because I felt, I felt betrayed 
No one was listening to me and what I wanted. I hated radio. I was depressed, sick. I hated the hours. I it was it was not me at all. I was so much better at podcasting. I wasn't good at radio. I didn't under, even understand why they wanted me. I'm like, I'm not good at this. Why do you want me? They weren't listening to me at all, taking into consideration my physical or mental health at all or where my career arc was clearly going and where my interests were. And so I just didn't feel like I didn't want to be there anymore. And I'm not a corporate guy. I'm all about supporting local and small business. And so I always felt a little bit queasy being at ESPN, which is owned by Disney, which is as corporate as it gets. And that was just like the most corporate, unfeeling thing, laying off a bunch of people, which I get. Tough times. I get it. But just to completely disregard me in that way and just view me as nothing more than a spreadsheet, uh, as a number on a spreadsheet, that's kind of where the cynicism uh, started building as well. And it was after that that I said to myself, I'm never working in corporate America again, unless Spotify comes calling. Why Spotify? Because at the time, late 2020, Spotify was clearly becoming the biggest player in podcasting. They got into the podcasting space in 2018. Up until then, from they either started in 06 or 08, but from 06 or 08 to 2018, exclusively music streaming. In 2018, they set their eyes on on bigger ambitions. You know, we want to get into podcasts. And then just in the past year, they've gotten into audiobooks as well. They want to be the number one audio platform as well for whatever form of audio you consume. And so they were making big acquisitions, getting exclusive rights to the Joe Rogan podcast, to Call Her Daddy with Alex Cooper, these massive shows with massive diehard followings. Apple Podcasts was the legacy leader. They were doing nothing to combat Spotify's aggressive moves. Clearly, Apple was like, you know what, Spotify, you can take the podcasting crown. We're working on all this other stuff that matters more to us than podcasting. You guys take it. So they essentially rolled over. And so I could tell, you know what? I like working for the best and the innovative and the forward thinking. And that's what Spotify is. And it's a European company based in Stockholm, Sweden. And so I know their their company values aren't so Americanized. They're much more into mental health and looking after their employees and listening to their employees. And like in Swedish, there's a there's this word called a fico, which is kind of like similar to a siesta in, in Spain, where kind of like a midday break grab a coffee with friends and catch up and just chill before getting back into the workday. So it's a company that, that I knew about from the outside that I admired. And I said, you know what? F corporate America. But if Spotify comes calling, I'll listen. And then they did just a couple months later. You also have your own uh, podcast that you do called yeah. uh, Found Generation. Yeah. Uh, what got you started that? And uh, where's that going, you think? So I started the podcast in the fall of 2020. It was called the Troy Farkas Show at the time because I had no idea what else to call a podcast. But I just started it just because it was the pandemic. We were all disconnected, not really seeing each other, all of us working remotely. I just wanted a way to have conversations with people, to catch up with people. So I just primarily used it for the first several months as just a way to catch up with old friends, people I hadn't spoken to since elementary school, middle school, high school, people that I missed, people who had made an impact on me, whether small or large. And so that's what it started as. And I know I could just call up someone and do that as well. But there was just something about if I just reached out and said, hey, like I'm going to record this and put it out on the internet, made them much more accountable to, to showing up and having a, a quality conversation. So that's how the podcast started. And then 
over time it actually like it was doing pretty well and people really liked it and so i was like you know what like i can expand this to just me catching up with my friends i can uh add some value in terms of like talking to business people or athletes i'm very big into self-help and inspiration and self-improvement so who can i talk to about their struggles about how they're trying to better themselves the career journey the life journey etc cetera, etc cetera. but then i after a couple years of doing that there was just something about calling it the Troy Farkas show that just kind of felt egotistical to me. I was like, who, who am I to put my name on a podcast? That makes no sense. So then I changed it uh, to the found generation, which is a play on words. I'm a history major, so I'm a, a history nerd. And in the 1920s and post-World War One, Europe and America, the uh, young men who had just fought in World War One who had just seen up until that point the biggest atrocities ever committed in Earth's history, the most global, big-scale war to have ever happened, like the war to end all wars at the time. And they were so disillusioned by that, the the PTSD, they felt lost and directionless. And so Gertrude Stein, a, a writer in that time, uh, coined that generation of young people as the lost generation. So I thought about that. Fast forward a hundred years when I rebranded it, I was like, you know what? We're not lost at all. We have all of these problems. Mental health and suicide rates are very, like, mental health issues and suicide rates are, are higher in this age demographic than they ever have been before. But we have so many opportunities to be happy and successful, to be a self starter, to take your life in your own hands. You don't necessarily need the middlemen anymore. You can self-publish a book and no one can tell you otherwise. So why are we so unhappy? So it's just kind of like this little play on words. Like, we're not lost at all. Like, I'm, I'm an optimist. So you know what? I like to think that we're found. And so I call it, uh, you know, put the happy spin on it, uh, the found generation. And it's hard. Like, you guys know this. Podcasting is hard. It's a lot of work. It's more than you think it is. If it's a guest-driven podcast, it's hard to book people. People cancel. They rearrange. They reschedule. Tech issues, you know, can happen sometime. So there's periods where I'm like not as all in on it or I'm working on a bunch of other things. But at the end of the day, I love it. I love having conversations and I'm really doing it only in-person conversations now. I travel a bunch, so I'm taking all my equipment with me whenever I'm on the road. I recorded a podcast in Miami last week. I'm going to record when I'm in London soon and uh, when I'm in New York City soon. And just it's just fun. I really love doing it. it. and I love making the episodes and putting them out in the world. And if I, you know, if you told me I could just be a writer and a podcaster and not have to actually work for corporate America, I mean, that's the dream. Totally. Oh yeah. As you get closer to your thirties, uh, what are you kind of, you know, this book is about living through your twenties. What are you kind of looking at for your thirties for what you're going to have to deal with? Do you think? Isn't it amazing to know that the best is still yet to come? That's how I always kind of view it. That's actually uh, scientifically. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and um, they're finding that people think, "Oh, our twenties and thirties. If we haven't made it by then, it's you know you're, you're too late." But they're yeah. finding that people in their fifties, sixties, and now seventies and eighties are actually more far more successful than they ever were. Yeah, or could have been in their twenties and thirties. Yeah, I mean, we we have this antiquated idea that your 20s are the best period of your life and that your third when you're 30 by the time you hit age 30 you got to have your your stuff figured out you need to be married or at least on the track to getting married having kids you need to have 
bought a home and that's a great investment for you to have. But what we're forgetting here is that since that expectation was set in, I don't know, the 1960s, that uh, the life expectancy has increased. Like we are much healthier than we were then. So when the age of, uh, when the life expectancy was 70 and now it's 85, like we need to adjust the goalposts accordingly for that. So 27, I feel like I'm just getting started. I mean, I'm, I'm doing, I've done really well so far and I'm just 27. I'm like, I'm just making this up. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm really excited. And within the next few months, I'm anticipating a complete reinvention of myself. And I'm very excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm excited for the 30s. I'm not looking forward to the the perils of aging and to the, the skin and to people waking up like all creaky and with the knees and whatnot. <laughs> so I'm very big into, into exercise and taking care of myself and kind of preventative health measures. Coincidentally, my health is just in the absolute gutter right now. I'd have diabetes and I have bronchitis for almost two months. Like I don't know what is going on. I was kind of wondering. I was kind of wondering about that with the the diabetes. How did it take so long for it to get diagnosed? You know, because you're well under your twenties, and usually that's something they pick up pretty quick on. Yeah, it's type one diabetes, which is the most commonly hereditary. Doesn't run in my family, so if it's not hereditary, it can also be caused by a virus. This hasn't been confirmed, but. I think I got COVID this summer because I went to London and I got sick when I was there. And then a couple months or a couple weeks later, I got diagnosed with diabetes, like out of freaking nowhere. Like my body just shut down. And so I think COVID, unpredictable COVID, just attacked my pancreas and decided, you know what, you're not making any more insulin. So it's it definitely a curveball learning to uh, learning to deal with it. Yes, it's- COVID's pretty scary, just all the randomness that it yeah, messes up. Seriously. It's, I have a coworker whose uh, wife had ended up with long COVID. She never even realized she had COVID. Mm. Just is all of a sudden next well, one day she's backing out of the driveway and she's seeing double. Really? And it, wow. you know, months of uh, recovery. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and finally it you know, when they finally d- figure out how to diagnose it, you know, it was like, Oh, this is just long COVID. It's like, What do you mean? I never had COVID. Like, right. Well, you, you, yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm wondering. I mean, I I've never tested po- positive for COVID. I just think it's because I'm stupid and don't do the self-administered test the right way. But maybe I maybe I have long COVID. Maybe I got COVID in July, and that's why I, that was the sickness I had. Maybe it's like a you know I've I've gotten three shots. Maybe it's related to that. Like we don't know. It's it's scary though. It's weird how it can just like drop on you like that. Yeah. yeah, that happened to me. Like I had COVID, and then I just all of a sudden had this like massive skin disorder where i broke out in hives like never really been to a, yeah hadn't been to a doctor in forever and then all of a sudden i'm just like there every month because wow. i'm like all, all swelling up it was weird uh, so you kind of hinted at it before but your next book are you working on it yet you what are your plans for your next book you know, you want to talk about <coughs> it at all if you've you i know. i want to be working on it but i'm trying to surrender right now and focus on my health without your health nothing else matters you can't get the next book if you die before uh <laughs> if you die in the process of writing it so i want to be writing the next book but i'm putting it on the back burner just getting better is my number one priority at the moment but hopefully that subsides soon and then i can really focus on it um big question here which company espn or spotify is being helped more by taylor swift right now oh gosh great question <laughs> great question um espn for sure yeah I don't know, Taylor Swift's uh, music right now. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, ESPN, the 
the clicks that they're getting on their articles that you know the money that that generates the and then the new fans the especially like the younger demographic the female demographic that is suddenly all into football now that is watching espn monday night football when the chiefs are on and taylor is there they're they're definitely uh definitely profiting more like i'm not sure how much i mean like people were already big into taylor swift on spotify i'm not sure how much this has affected that i'm sure it's been a bigger bottom line increase than for espn it's def- definitely been a bump. I think it's something the NFL probably needed. For sure. Too. I mean, I mean, that's that's why ESPN has decided to uh, to pay Taylor and Travis to be in a relationship, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh, conspiracies. <laughs> you got any more questions, Alex? Uh, no, I think you kind of nailed all my stuff. Was it? Is there anything like looking back on Surrender uh, that maybe like you left out or like thought of later that you'd want to put in? Something along those lines, like cycling back to your book here. Yeah, it's more more so stuff that I that I wish like wasn't in there. I I can't remember specifically at this moment because my brain is fried. But there's just some things that I look back and I'm like, ugh, why did I write that? Why did I put that in there? But but which goes to one of my passages in there, which is actually inspired by Taylor Swift. Coincidentally, uh, there's a passage in there called "Cringe," which is inspired by Taylor gave a commencement speech at NYU maybe last year where she told the students, everything you do is cringe. Everything that you're wearing right now, everything that you're saying right now, that you're posting on social media, you're going to look back on this in two years and be like, why did I think that was fashionable? Why did I think that was cool? And so I knew writing this book, I'm like, two years, I'm going to regret half of this. I'm going to think this is so disgusting. And why did I write that? Why did I think that? I don't believe in that anymore. My views have completely changed. So there's there's a couple passages in the book where I'm like, gosh, that's really cringy. Why did I put that in there? But I think if you're if you're really trying, if you're putting stuff out there, I think you're if you're doing the creative process, like I think you're always gonna run into that. I'm sure Taylor thinks that about a lot of her old music. Like, God, why did I write that? Why did I sing that at a concert for so many people? I think if you're really trying, that's kind of an inevitable thing. Uh, so the tough part of the interview is over. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to that will, at the end of every show, ask the same five questions to all their guests. So we're going to oh boy, do the, the same thing. So these so are like uh, five. Fire, uh, one, it, one. Well, whatever you want to take it. Just uh, But these are real easy questions. So we'll start off oh uh, with the easiest. What is your favorite book? My favorite book is What Made Maddie Run by Kate Fagan. Okay. Are you a coffee drinker, tea drinker? Huge coffee drinker. What's your favorite coffee? Dark roast, black. Uh, what's your favorite location to write in? Mm. Coffee shops. If money and time was not an issue, uh, what is the one book you would want to write? Mm. Money and time wasn't an issue. The one book I would want to write. It's more so... Uh, I'm going to change the question a little bit. It's more so... I would write a a realistic fiction book based on a relationship in my life that didn't come to fruition, that I wanted to come to fruition. It's a wild story. I would just change the names, but all the details would be pretty much the same. But I wouldn't write it because I still do care about that person, and I wouldn't want them outed in that way. But I would write that because it would be a really good book. Finally, uh, what is the most important piece of advice you have for someone that you would want to give that taken from this podcast or your book or something that you haven't said yet? Just start. Whatever it is, that thing that you've been telling yourself forever, 
that you want to do. You want to pick up jujitsu. You want to go do a ballroom dancing class. You want to get started on a book. You want to start a podcast. You want to go to the, uh, you know, you want to start working out. Like just start. Stop trying to make everything perfect for you to start. Stop trying to get the environment just right. It's never going to be right. You just got to go into it and to just start it. Just get over the insecurity. Get over the fear of failure. Just begin. So if people want to get a hold of you anyway, you know, you'd like them to get a hold of you, uh, where they can buy the book, uh, find your podcast, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the podcast, The Found Generation. You can watch it everywhere, but you know we like you know watching it on on Spotify, uh, YouTube as well, and that darned Apple, Instagram at Troy underscore Farkas F A R K A S. That's where I spend a lot of time, and then you can get the book Surrender: A Guide to Living the Best Life in Your Twenties. You can get that on Amazon. Um, that's the best way to support. But you can also go Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, whatever. Well, thank you for uh, joining us this Saturday morning right before Halloween. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to read your guys' books. Thank you. Uh, It's been a pleasure. So remember, folks, just start. And until next time, this has been Bookworms.